it's a reflection that started under the header being free and considers the being of deities from the uh, example of the Swedish railing of figure that you probably know. It's this little phallic figure uh, that's been associated with Frey. And um, it's kind of, the reflection is kind of inspired by the fact that we've been talking about these things. We've been talking about the being of deities in relation specifically to um, archaeological finds that are or are not uh, specific deities. And is that, is that being being or not being a deity that I'm interested in, that I've been been thinking quite a lot about. Uh, cool. Cool, let me start with the railing of figure here, because it has often been identified with the deity that we know from the Icelandic Eddic material, Frey, but is it really Frey? Is it really Frey? Do we really know what it is? Um, I mean, it could be really anything. It could be a little piece of Viking Age porn hub. It could be like a picture of granddaddy. It could be, uh, I don't know, a demon that was dangerous and, and it was disposed of because people wanted to get it out of the community. Or it could be a deity from a different culture. It could be another deity that we do know from the Nordic names. It could be a Nordic deity that we don't know. Uh, it could be almost anything. But it makes sense to identify it with Frey because we want to see Frey in Sweden with the whole Inglinger, Uppsala sort of complex. So, uh, and of course, because it's a phallic figure and, and uh, we know from, uh, from um, uh, Adam of Bremen that uh, Frey was portrayed in, uh, with, figure, with phallic figures. I think there are other sources on that as well, by the way. Anyway, so the interesting thing and what I kind of want to question is the really is that I just said now. When I launched this little consideration here now, I said, is it really Frey? And I bet you all bought it. Uh, the, 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 the thought that there is a really is that we can sort of talk about from a, from a, a scholarship point of view, uh, and that that is perhaps a history of religion's perspective on what the people in the context where the figure was made thought about it, right? That, uh, that is the really is that I was talking about just here now. And the point I want to make is that this, the, that being, that is, that's not any more really than other kinds of being. In fact, I think it's a little bit less, really, but I'll, I'll get back to that in a while. Um, and by understating the privileging of that knowledge paradigm in which I can say, we don't know what the railing of figure really is, then I'm, I'm, I'm subtly... Uh, supremacy or the, the, the priority of one knowledge paradigm and one way of knowing and one way of engaging this figure over others. And there certainly are others. And I don't necessarily think that this particular knowledge paradigm, the, the history of religion's perspective, should be privileged, not ethically and in fact also not, I think, philosophically when we think about what being, uh, how being works. Uh, because if, if we look at that, then I think the strongest position today is that being is predicated on engagement, on relate, relating, 
I relate, therefore I am. I interact, therefore I am. I think it's uh, Nguyen Bird David uh, writing about animism who, who, uh, who makes that point. Um, and and I, I think this has roots in uh, phenomenologist philosophy like Malopontu and all that. Uh, but that's quite important, I think, here because it means that the really is that being that we tend to consider as more real, it, 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 it's, it, it's actually not particularly more real than, say, ways of being that rest on engagement, right? They would perhaps actually be more real. They would be more real, have more really is than, uh, than our assumptions about with what probability we can assume that X community that we know very, very little about, which existed a thousand years ago, uh, perhaps thought inside their minds about what that, uh, that figure was. And with what probability we can identify these notions with the notions that we can recognize from the Icelandic material that comes from a completely different context. I mean, this whole, can you see how this whole uh, um, reflection that lies behind my really is, uh, how that's actually really, really speculative. It's super speculative. It's almost ethereal. And uh, in uh, opposition to that, the relating that, for instance, neo-pagans have with a figure, such as the Railing figure, is much more real, it's much more uh, concrete, it's almost physical, because they relate with the figure as Frey, they ask Frey for help and perhaps give an offering to Frey in the image of this figure, and they thank the figure when they receive help in their lives uh, from Frey and so on. These are very, very concrete, real uh, ascription of being, you might say, a production of being. And it's the same when, when uh, the figure is ascribed to being Frey in teaching books and uh, it's sold and bought as being Frey or reproductions of the figure in uh, these little lines of metal figures uh, of Nordic gods that you find all over Scandinavian museums. So uh, there's a very concrete real being Frey uh, in that. Now, part of the background for this consideration is also that that uh, if you take a new animist perspective on what Frey is and what the Breilinger figure is, then Frey is relating, right? He is, he is a individual. That means that he is he's a, a agent of subjectivity that emerge in people's engaging and ritual engagement and relating with something. Um, the something that people are relating with, uh, which individuates Frey, um, or like produces Frey as a subjective individual, that is a complex of aspects of reality. Uh, a little bit like the Inuit sea mother is the Inua, the individual subject of the sea, and Frey would be the, the Inua, or the individual subject of a complex of things in reality, like uh, specific aspects of agrarian cycles, uh, specific persons, specific families, specific uh, perhaps modes of masculinity, specific uh, ideas in the world, specific values, specific places, times of the year, all kinds of things that are sort of uh, conflated into a into fray and produces the individual 
which is the the agent, the subjective agent Frey, and that is why the how these kind of um, hierarchical animisms they're sometimes called works when you have where you have these composite cosmocratic deities that you find among Hawaiians, Chinese, Orisha, uh, and, and and so on, Nordic religion. I absolutely convinced is one of these. So that's part of the, this, this whole consideration. That is what Frey is and how he is related. What happens when people uh, choose the railing figure uh, as an image of Frey is that, that the, the uh, figure, uh, whether or not it was Frey or considered as Frey or a similar figure in the Iron Age or Viking Age, um, it, it becomes a individuation tool to produce relating to Frey. So it, it becomes part of Frey in, in that sense. And part of that, and this is, I think, where this gets funny, difficult, perhaps even more controversial and cool, is intention. Right? Part of the situation is that we ascribe reality intention. Um, in the famous uh, example of the British anthropologist uh, Evans Pritchard, um, a granary fell on the head and killed um, somebody uh, in the Sunday in um, Western Sudan somewhere or something like that. And, um, and then people started figuring out the intention behind this. There was no, it was unthinkable that there wasn't an, an intention, that it was just something that happened to happen. Um, when stuff happened in the world, part of how we individuate and how part of the whole religious perception of reality is the ascription of or the you might say discerning intention in it um, I think this is also part of how we can understand div uh, divination uh, divination is really a way of discerning intentions uh, somehow but that's a kind of a different um, discussion the important thing here is that we, if we if we look at how the agency of deities work then the agency of deities uh, often works uh, through motivation. A deity motivates something, is ascribed into something that's happening, and then it motivates it. You know, the, one of the most amazing examples is how the war god Ukun motivated and manifested through the Haitian Revolution. Um, it was basically that uh, individual, Ukun, was so... Uh, inscribed as the intention that drove the Haitian Revolution that you can almost see the Haitian Revolution as a manifestation of Ukun um, in, uh, in the world um, and so uh, when these motivating and intentional uh, forces are if we take that perspective and look at the fact that people engage the Relinger figure as Frey, then is that not actually an expression of the intention of Frey? I, you know, Frey wants the Relinger figure to be Frey. Um, <laughs> I'm just saying Frey manifests, Frey chooses to manifest in the Relinger figure because uh, are driven by that motivation in people that chooses this figure as frame. It's probably not a distinction. I haven't 
thought this all the way through. But there's probably not a hell of a lot of distinction in peop- between people's wish to see Frey in that figure and the actual subjectivity, intentional subjectivity, which is Frey, right? So, uh, and and I think this is important when we consider how and in what contexts we speak about these things. Because if we go out to uh, contemporary heathens and deconstruct the shit out of their choice of seeing Frey uh, in this figure, then we are actually counter-dividuating. And that's a dangerous thing to do, actually. Counter-dividuating is akin, I think, to uh, hybrid, 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 or blasphemy, is sometimes called in a in a Christian uh, context. That um, that you are affronting a deity instead of pulling it by uh, negating it, right? For instance, saying that. The God, calling the god Thor impotent is a negation of the, of Thor, and therefore it pushes him away rather than calls him, and therefore he will leave that that uh, agency, that subject, that individual will, will be pushed away from the person who uh, who uh, makes that statement, right? And we risk if we are not a little bit careful about how we how and where and with what motivation, I would say, that we apply the scientific language, we risk uh, moving into that space, a space where we are pushing a deity away, which actually wants to manifest in a specific way. Can you follow my logic here? If we can, if we can think about, and, and notice also that I'm now in a space where I'm thinking about what gods actually are. Uh, and um, that also, of course, returns, you know, implies the question, are we allowed to do that? Are we allowed to think about what deities are? And I think, I totally think we are. I think the the idea that we're not supposed to be analytical about what de- de- gods and spirits are is a, a bit of a, like, enlightenment Protestant idea that, you know, God is something that's extremely distant and very, very far away from... Uh, the human sphere of, of, of engagement, understanding, and so on. I think we should just knock ourselves out and use the tools available to us to think about what gods are. Um, and uh, new animist theory is, is, is one uh, tool that we can use to do that. Um, yeah. And this reflection that I'm making now here, which um, I, I took the example of the railing of figure, but I really think that this applies across the board Perhaps not completely across the board, but it, it applies to a lot of the uh, a lot of the uh, um, ways that people reinvent deities with strange and sometimes surprising uh, symbolisms. I've I've always already been uh, kind of uh, jubilantly uh, supporting the. Uh, Odin is Santa Claus identification that's going around, uh, but also uh, there are many others. Like uh, the, 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 this idea that that you know people use a surface likeness to create an identity between two figures, and that figure is really supposed to enrich one of these figures. That's part of a individuation process. So when people identify 
uh, Erstre with Ishtar or whatever they do, you know, then that is a that that surface identification is a individuating tool that, well, in this case, Erstre can uh, use. She can intentionally. She has intention. You know, she can use Ishtar to manifest better in the world, basically. And uh, yeah, I think it's really important to to um, um, to not be caught away in modernist scientific criticism and and, and just you know criticize that too hardcore. It's not because we shouldn't. Not because we should. Call it the canonical truth in in a scientific analytical context. Of course not. You know, the, 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 there's no uh, uh, etymologically cognate connection between the names Eustrian uh, and Ishtar. You know, end of story. That is, but uh, but these are two very very different knowledge paradigms. Uh, the knowledge paradigm where uh, a individuation takes place through a surface likeness. And the knowledge paradigm in which identification between two words takes place through uh, them being or not being cognate. Uh, and both of these, I think, have uh, validity. They could even have an analytical validity, both of them. It's just a matter of uh, uh, the field of individuation becoming a scientific uh, field of analysis. Then, then, then it would actually have an, uh, an, an analytical uh, validity to, to look at how Eustre is uh, enriched with Ishtar or whatever. Um, yeah, that was just my little reflection here. I hope you tucked along to, to the end. I see I'm almost at 19 minutes here. Um, cool. Drop comments if you if you got this far and uh, see you around.